The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded, first of April edition, and it's no fool's day for us here at Absent in the Prize as we have gone independent and the transition into the new site seems to have been going very well. We are here to talk about the player of the month for March, and uh, we have a huge lineup today. We got we got a f- complete line. We only missing the goalkeeper really, and. Uh, we got, of course, the fugitive, the impersonator. He's now known in in the Slack channels, the the one and only. And I don't know what name he has right now, but we know him as Anton Rosegård. Thank you for joining yeah. me, Anton. Thank you. Uh, last I looked at my own name in the Slack channel, it was Odie Cleghorn because I'm also breaking records, uh, just like him. On the other hand, we also have the the Swedish hater, the um, one that Anton usually impersonates, Matt Drake. Yes, sir. And it's it's not it's not that I'm a Swedish hater. It's that I have a problem with like certain members of your culture who like to defraud the elderly. Um, I think I think his name is Antoine or something like that. I can't remember, but he changes right. his name a lot. It's it's what fraudsters tend to do because they, they want to try to confuse you and they, they want to make sure nobody knows who they are so that's really my problem with sweden is that you guys tend to defend these people constantly so i'm watching you there we have it and we have jared book who's part of the original four really and uh jared the man who can now tell dad jokes even if he did it before yeah yeah lots of dad jokes um if you don't like puns you should stop following me on twitter um just gonna throw that out there uh you're, you're gonna but, lose like 1500 followers now yeah pro- probably no i i think those people have already left to be honest yeah, right. uh, but uh i was gonna say that matt isn't a, a swedish hater he just really really likes jordan dubay <laughs> yeah that's what it is and and the uh the other thing that, that i want to say is that uh i don't think Odie cleghorn broke records i think he was just the first one to set all of them yeah, that's true. But then he broke them, right? Someone has to have had the records before. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Maybe it's, that's true. But yeah, go Odie. He knows break Ribbonswine, though. And last but not least, we have the Dobler Prospects Q guy. We got Hadi Kalakesh here because we are going to talk a little bit about prospects. Hadi, thank you for joining us. Absolutely, no problem. Excited to speak about Lane Hudson again for a third or another 30 minutes as it usually goes. So yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, we 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 have a lot to talk about. We're going to go through and we're going to become more regular not only the bottom 6 minutes that man is driving all on his own. He's number 2 in Vietnam. So if anyone from Vietnam listens, make sure to tell your friends to start following us on on that channel as well so we become number 1. Um Looking at it, though, 
we're going to start with the, the, the name that Hardy just tossed out for no good reason at all. Obviously, Lane Hudson is the player <laughs> of the month and probably player of the season. He should have been in the Harvey Baker Award nomination, right? Oh, absolutely. It's it's absolutely astounding to me that the NCAA determined that there's three better uh, prospects than him in the NCAA. Uh, all jokes aside, I, I think that it was pretty tight with the names that were there. But for me, a player who has cracked the top three of all time, you know, draft plus one defenseman scoring in, in the NCAA... I think it's a no-brainer. Um, uh, Kale McCarr, when he won his uh, Hobie Baker in 2018-19, he had 49 points in 41 games. Um, Hudson's at 48 points in 38 games. So he's got three more three more games to catch uh, Kale McCarr's Hobie Baker winning season. Now, obviously, in that season, there was a lot less competition. One of the runners-up was Jimmy Schultz. This year, you've got Logan Cooley and Matthew Nyes, um, Adam Fantilli, Jimmy Snuggerud, who didn't even make the cut. Guys like uh, like Luke Hughes who didn't even make the top ten for the Hobie Baker, so you know it's. I get that the competition is a lot tighter and the SWA has gotten better, but still, I mean, it's just outstanding to me that a guy who is top three all time for for scoring among defensemen his age in the SWA, uh, for for him not to be in the running for the Hobie Baker in the top three, it's just it's. It, I don't get it at all. <laughs> it's, it's, Jimmy, Jimmy showed the Canadians development camp uh, invite. Yep. He was, yeah. and and Anton, we haven't really seen a snub like this since Eric Carlson was snubbed for uh, Dowdy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the the whole thing. I wonder how much of the voters' process, and there's it's it's kind of weird that all three nominees came from the Big Ten, also. But having said that, I wonder how much of them is like, oh, we'll just give it to Lane next year, because <laughs> because huh. odds are he'll be back, and the other three probably will not. Uh, although. Yeah, probably, probably will be, but um, depends what Arizona wants to do and if they start actually having players on the roster. Can I just uh, ask you, Hadi? Uh, like, I understand yeah. the nominations of Fantilli and Cooley, but Matthew Nice is he really that good? Like, does does Toronto really have something there, or is he just like, is, is it just that he has scored a, the hits a lot from Toronto? No, no, but well, has, is it just that he has scored a lot of game winning goals? Well. <laughs> It can't he be is. scoring because Sean Farrell scored more than he did in the NCAA. Yeah, if it's scoring, no, for sure. then you'd have but, to you'd have to put Farrell in there instead of Nice. Yeah, but the competition, you know, in the Big Ten versus the ECAC, yeah. where he's facing Colgate and and you know Cornell and stuff like that, like it's 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 a different league, right? Um, but the thing is, Matthew Nice has genuinely been really good in the NCAA. I, I don't know if he projects as a top six forward in the NHL. There's a lot of things from his game that make me think that he's more the type of guy who's going to oscillate between, you know, a, a, a low end second liner or a high end third liner type of thing, a, a bit like Alex Kerfoot, for example. Um, you know, that's the kind of player I can see him mold as in the NHL. But what he's been doing in the NCAA this year for Minnesota, you know, it doesn't show on the on the scoring records, but he has been the main play driver on that line. It's just been outstanding. Indeed. And uh, what kind of projection do we have for Lane Hudson? There was, I mean, I remember you telling me, Hadi, if he was, uh, what, a couple of inches taller, he would go in the first, in the top 10. Oh, for uh, sure. And uh, and in a redraft, he obviously would anyway. But mm -hmm. um, what can you tell us? What what are we expect? What are the expectations of Lane Hudson coming into the summer and, and development camp? And then 
for next year when, when he plays it in 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 a maybe an even bigger role on his team. As much as I absolutely love Lane Hudson, I would be blown out of the water if he makes the NHL next year. I'm almost 100% certain he's going back to BU for an, at least another year, maybe two. Um, just to kind of round out his profile, because there are still some defensive lackings, mainly kind of sprouting from his skating deficiencies. His pivots are still a bit slow. He does get caught up. Um, you know, he, he does a good job of keeping a mental map of his surroundings, but his feet can't keep up with a guy who's fast enough or big enough to get around him. So, you know, there's still those deficiencies. And until that's rectified, I don't see him really gelling to an NHL lineup as he is right now. But the ceiling with Hudson is pretty much limitless. I mean, the amount of offensive skill and intelligence that he displays on a regular basis, shift by shift, he's genuinely been Boston's best player. He's pretty much been the Hockey East's best player overall. You know, he's he, he led in points, so that's one thing, but he's genuinely been just shift he's constantly creating things he, he can just materialize scoring chance out of nothing and he sees a game three steps in advance for me if you work out his his skating issues and his defensive uh limitations and and kind of surround that with kind of uplifting his his, his skill even more you know bringing his his puck handling one step up you know uh, improving his shot that kind of thing you could be looking at a top air defender in the nhl but there's a lot of ifs there um, I, I think that the step from the USHL to the NCAA was kind of one that was predictable in terms of how he would translate. Now, it's a different ball game to make the NHL. It's it, the style is completely different. So, yes, the NCAA is a big step up in terms of competition, in terms of of, of you know pace of play and all that. But Hudson, I think, was always equipped for that. What's going to be even tougher is how he handles the chaos and the physicality of the NHL or even the AHL. That's really, for me, going to be the kind of the stepping stone that'll be the, the the hardest to overcome. But so far, Hudson's overcome every single obstacle in his route um, on his way to greatness. So, you know, I, I wouldn't count him out, but there are still a lot of ifs in his game that need to be kind of ironed out. I have a, I have a question for, for Hattie, even part, yeah. maybe even part, parts of two here. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had this theory that smaller players that are really, really good uh, mm-hmm. And and you know Cole Caulfield falls into that category, uh, mm-hmm. Sean Farrell, uh, and then obviously Lane Hudson as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they haven't they, they they've always been smaller than everyone else. Yeah. So they, 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 as they move up levels, they kind of are not, not that it's easy to adjust, but but when you have that elite skill set, it's kind of like yeah, I'm smaller. Xavier Simino is another example of that. Of yeah. just somebody who's always been smaller and just deals with it. Yeah. Um, but it, if if he had this season. Mm-hmm. before the draft where teams could see him adjust the NCAA there, there's no chance he falls to 62 right oh no chance at all um I think a lot of teams are betting on you know the idea of him facing six foot plus 24 year olds you know being something that he wouldn't be able to handle and he's handled it wonderfully and he's been thriving um but yeah I've mentioned this multiple times you know when you're smaller than everyone else your whole career you develop competitive advantages you develop the tools that you need just to, to circumvent your lack of size and so when you get to the NHL and you're facing bigger guys, it's nothing new. The issue is with with Hudson is that he's developed the tools that work right now against guys who, you know, you know, fifty percent of the time right now the guys the guys the forwards he's facing in the NCAA off the rush are either not big enough or not fast enough to get around him. But as soon you as soon as you do have those two elements, let's say he comes up against a Jimmy Snuggerud or a Logan Cooley, um, those guys have either the speed or the size or both. Um, the wingspan in general to be able to get around him pretty easily. So that's the kind of 
level of play he's going to be facing in the NHL, especially if, you know, he develops his skill set even more and really kind of manifests himself as a potential top pair defender. If you're facing, if you're a top pair defender, you're facing top, top lines. And that's going to be the scary part for Hudson. Um, so, so yeah, there, you know, to a certain extent, it is definitely true that when you're smaller than everyone else, you do develop some, uh, competitive advantages and Hudson certainly has, but there are still some, some elements of his game that realistically, you know, he does need to develop that further to be able to handle NHL competition. But since he's so adaptive as a player, his adaptability is really impressive. I think he's going to figure it out, especially with Adam Nicholas working on him, who's pretty much the best person to be handling someone like Lane Hudson. Um, because his specialty is in developing edge work and explosivity out of pivots. And, you know, he's really, really good. Adam Nicholas is really good at working with guys who've got great hockey sense. And Hudson certainly has that. He's, you know, Nicholas's specialty is taking someone who's smart and making their body be be able to keep up with their brain. So if he's able to continue doing what he's doing with Hudson, who's already shown some improvements in the areas I mentioned, I mean, if he keeps on this track, I would be very surprised if we're not looking at an NHL defender. It's just a matter of where he ends up in the lineup. Yeah, if all so basically, do, basically if... what you're saying is we have to read a lot into the uh, the seven games of next year's World Juniors. And Absolutely. That that, that's is. exactly what I'm saying. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else matters except if... for uh, Exactly. World you got it. <laughs> if all he had to do, if literally the only thing that they asked him to do was come up to the NHL tomorrow and just carry the puck and transition through the neutral zone and gain the line, I think he could do it. I think he could play yeah. in the show tomorrow. Like, Hattie, yeah. I, I'm not even going to go be a back to everything that Hattie just no, no, said. I but agree. Like when he's, instead of a, instead when he's of a shaking and baking on the way to the blue line, it yeah. is a sight. He had mm-hmm. that goal. It, it, Who are they playing against? Um, I forget. I got a clip of it on my Twitter, though, where he's like coming up towards the blue line and he's just shoulder faking the shit out of anybody trying to check him. <laughs> and they can't t- they can't put a stick on him. It's it's amazing what he might have been transition. against Cornell. But yeah, no, I, I, you're right. If if the only thing he was tasked with doing in the NHL, if he, if, if he was able to just hop on the ice for a transition and then hop off, you have an NHL top top pair defender. Yeah. The issue is everything that surrounds that. Um, you know, when he's going to be facing defensive zones face-offs, when he's going to be retrieving pucks in his own end with two four-checkers closing in on his back. Like, that's the part. Those are the parts that kind of worry me with Hudson, uh, which is why I'm all for keeping him in the NCAA for as long as possible to have these things developed uh, to a level where he's ready to just jump in the NHL right away and play. And then going they can so instead, of a, instead of a like face-off can get off the yeah. No, and going from one prospect in taken in the second round, we're going to another taken in the third. Yeah. And it is obviously another puck carrying defender, Adam Engstrom, who's had a fantastic um playoffs and, and end of the regular season, but but really stood out in the playoffs. He stood out so much. So Robert Olson uh, actually acknowledged him along with the fans, as Ruggler's best player in the playoffs. Um, Anton, obviously, Adam plays for Ruggler, and uh, you've seen him live. You've seen uh, some of the bad performances live. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he didn't have a great night when you and me went to Katena Arena to to watch him. Uh, but, you know, after that, that was back in the end of January, I think. And uh, after that, he really picked it up and he really found uh, a new level of play. Uh, and, and it's just impressive. He's a first-year senior player. Um, and 
Rugla didn't have the easiest season uh, coming off that CHL uh, win, uh, the first tournament they really won ever. So it was kind of a hangover for them. But yeah, in the playoffs, he was really uh, he was really lighting it up and and really showing the way for uh, for his team. And um, without him, I don't think Rugla would have done as well um, as they actually ended up doing in the uh, in the. Uh, for, first, they took out um, Emil Heinemann's uh, Lexand, yeah. and uh, then they brought uh, one of the favorites to win it all, Coleftio, into Game Six, uh, where they fell through. They were actually they held a two-nil lead deep into Game Five, and in the last ten minutes there, I think they they, they lost the whole series. Um, Hadi, you were highest on uh, Emil on on Adam Engstrom. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the top 25, under 25. Are, how surprised are you of his season? Very. And that's given, you know, having been able to, you know, make a full YouTube scouting report on him uh, right after the draft, you know, right before we we voted on the top 25, under 25. It's just outstanding to me what he's been able to do in the SHL this year. I thought he would spend the year in the J20 this year. And, I think everyone did. Game. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's just it's so impressive to see the way that he's able to move with the puck, the way that he's able to carry it out of his own, the 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 intelligence and decision making, the meticulousness of his choices in the offensive zone. You know, he thinks things through. He's not playing thoughtlessly. Sometimes you can see it in the defensive zone when, you know, he has to focus on switching assignments and stuff like that. Like sometimes he will kind of look a bit thoughtless and and get confused. But. In general, his game has developed so much since his draft year as well. You know, the clips that I saw, the the the, um, the film that I had to work off of for my scouting report, I saw some flashes of what we see consistently now, and it's it's really impressive for me. I, you know, the the especially in the playoffs, he just came into his own. And you know, when you've got the opposing team's coach lauding you as the best team unprompted, no one asked him who was the best team on regular. He just he just said it. He was just like, yeah, the Ottoman stream was fantastic. Um, it it just speaks to the level of play that he's been able to elevate himself into. Uh, you know, as as the season went on, and I think it really stems from the amount of effort he puts in night and night out to 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 perform to be in his top shape. And you know, I, I believe that it was his head coach who said that he's you know the last guy off the ice. He constantly stays an extra thirty minutes to work on stuff. Like these things are intangibles that can really make a difference. An extra 30 minutes a day can really change a prospect. So he's doing fantastic right now. He's obviously um, compared to, to Matthias Norlinder um, in a lot of ways by many people online. And they're miles apart in their development. Obviously, Norlinder didn't play in, in SHL at this level, yeah. uh, at, at this age even. Um, and also, but but what always strikes me when we talk about Engstrom and Norlinder in the same uh, sentence is that Roger Runberg said, "I used to have, to, uh, I'm I'm working on teaching Norlinder to play poker, mm-hmm. when to fold and when to go all in." And mm-hmm. Engstrom doesn't really need that. Yeah, he, he 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 doesn't need to be taught that. He already plays poker. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So the things that Engstrom needs to develop are more along the puck skills and defensive awareness kind of, kind of lane. Whereas Norlander was extremely chaotic, but so supremely skilled. And 
I don't see that in Engstrom. Engstrom is a lot more calculated than Norlander was, and he's less skilled than he is. So I'm going to bring up something from from an article that is about to be released. Hopefully, comes out this weekend. But obviously, I spoke not only to Robert Olson after the the playoffs finished for Rugler, but also to Cam Abbott, and uh, he says that Engstrom has bought in to work on the things that might not be as flashy, might not be as funny uh, to to work with in mm-hmm. order to benefit the team. And he also mm-hmm. stipulates quite clearly that he wouldn't have played him uh, if if he was just there to 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 play cool. He mm-hmm. uh, Abbott is there to win games. He plays yeah. the best player possible. And in the end, that was Autumn Engstrom. Yeah, he absolutely deserved a shot. And he's been making really good work of it. So yeah, I'm extremely impressed with Engstrom. He's going to be higher than he already was uh, in my rankings uh, at the next top 25 under 25. I think it goes for all of us, except for Matt, who obviously <laughs> doesn't really like Swedish defenders or European the, defenders. The, 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 issue, the issue is with the, with the top 25 under 25 is there's only like 15 guys that I want to move up in my rankings, and, <laughs> and there's not enough room to move all of them up. So I think that's going to be a, a thing that when we sit down. Uh, yep. We're going to have a lot of guys that are going to be lower than we want them to be. And especially um, this year, because Arvid Henriksson isn't there anymore. Yeah, no, of course. He, he, Our he's best defender. AHL, he's an AHL player. <laughs> yeah. He's an AHL hand, player, though, guys. Like, let, let's, let's face it. Uh, I spoke with Adam as well, and I've overheard some others because some others took my questions, obviously, but, but I've overheard some of the other questions. And um, it's funny because... Uh, let me get this name right. Um... Uh, uh, Anthony Marcotte uh, just spoken to uh, Rob Romash in and uh, saying he was in Sweden, but Adam, after the exit of the playoffs, said, "No, no, no, no one has been here. No one has asked me anything." And obviously, the other guys didn't even know that he was drafted in Montreal. Um, you, you would assume a journalist would know how elite prospect works, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, he 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 knows he's working. He's he's staying in Sweden for next year. He was quite clear of that. He obviously follows Montreal because he's told me off the record or, or when the microphone wasn't on really that, well, I'm not going to be able to take a spot on that roster next year. So I'll have to work here another year. And he seems really, really happy to do that. I think it's a very good choice of him. I hope mm-hmm. that Montreal doesn't bring him over for 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 uh, rookie camp and, and, and the main camp, but rather let him stay, come over to, to development camp, go back home, work your ass off. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but there's so many risks involved there. We saw it with Norlander, we saw it with Heimnemann. Like when you have a prospect of rookie camp and then training camp, first they're not training with their team, they're not solidifying their place in the lineup, and they have to earn it on the way back. And you know, with Norlander, it was this issue where he didn't didn't get the power play time that he deserved because other guys were there the entire preseason and were able to earn their way up, and they they developed chemistry with their line mates. So, you know, same thing with Heinemann, who got injured. You know, there's a lot of risks involved in that. So I, I think it's a lot better to leave your European prospects overseas and maybe to, to hire a European correspondent who can check in with them, you know, daily or weekly in Europe, you know, either by video or, or you know, in person if they can and just have them work on that. That's, that's what we did. I was surprised hiring yeah. Patrick. Uh, actually, they, you hired Anton as well, or he's just. Here I, I, to, I said to, Anton. I said Patrick and Anton too. Uh, I think he's just. Anton, Anton, lied, from, Anton lied on his Japan. resume. We all know Anton lied on his resume. He exactly. Up, no, he nobody really knows how, how he never how, actually did. 
Exactly. Nobody really knows how I came in here. And just one, one day I was there. Or, or who you are, really. Yeah. He's Nick Bobrov. <laughs> I, I well, met Bobrov. someone that tells I mean, me he's Anton, but I'm not sure who he is. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> he could be Justin Fro, you know. Yeah. Exactly. I could be. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to move on to the... Uh, I'll give a small shout out, though, to, to Kapanen. I mean, know I'm always harsh on him. He had a good finish of the season, regular season. Uh, finish. Yeah. But was, hilarious. <laughs> was uh, not really that prominent in those seven games against Pelicans where he only had an assist. I'll still see him as a, a Vedemo player, maybe with a better shot, but smaller in statue. And I think I think we have to wait until he comes over to, to Laval in order to fully uh, evaluate him. He's going to stay, obviously, in Kalpa next year as well. He signed a new contract uh, or during the World Juniors. So... We're aware anyway, and it'll be interesting to see. We're going to AHL, obviously, and we got Perik Dubé as the player of the month. And I'm going to leave that to the expert that is Jared Book. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny because I'm sure a lot of people are like, who, who in the world is Pierrick Dubé? <laughs> um, and the answer to that is, uh, a player who has really come out of nowhere, not not come out of nowhere, but has really established himself in taking the opportunity because, uh, let's face it, half of the Rockets' top six, if not more, uh, are in Montreal right now. Uh, so, a legend of the Cataract de Chaminigan. So, uh, oh, yeah, important yeah. to note. Yeah, no, he's he's uh, he's one of those guys that is really a success story of the three tier program. Uh, last year. Peter Abandonado was was the same thing. He he really, you know, the, the last year Abandonado started the year in the ECHL, and once he got to Laval, he, he there was not even a thought of him going down. And and Pierre Dubé is the same thing. He he got sent down a couple of times uh, after starting the year in Laval, and and really just was was really 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 good um, for the Rocket. And you know he's scoring big goals. He's getting good minutes. Uh, and you know, if it wasn't for him and Joel Teasdale, uh, the Rocket would not even be close to a playoff spot um, right now. And uh, he had three points in the last game against uh, against Manitoba um, on on Tuesday. And so it's it's he, he's just really embracing the opportunity and and becoming an AHL player. And and we've seen players who have you know turned that into more than just uh, an AHL contract, even. Uh, you know, you look at guys like Corey Schooneman and, uh, you know, there's there's Alex Belzil is another example of that, of, of a guy who started on an AHL contract and ended up getting an NHL deal down the road. And He um, also has the advantage of just being, he just turned 22. So yeah, he's, he's still young. really he's young. young. Yeah, yeah he, you know, he played junior hockey with uh, a lot of guys that are still in junior hockey, um, you know, guys like Maverick Bork and Xavier Borgo, like he was on that same team uh, as those guys. And, and those guys are still, um, you know, in, in junior or, or just starting their, their pro careers. So um, it's definitely um, a player who to watch, I think, um, going forward in, in this organization and, and a real success story for that three tier system. This is what you want from that system is to, you know, give guys that maybe aren't worth an NHL contract uh, and maybe you're not even worth getting AHL playing time right away. But you have that ECHL team that you can send guys to. They're still in Quebec. 
uh, and and they can get playing time and develop, and and that's what he's done, and 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 I think it'd be very interesting to watch him, you know, going forward because there, there's going to be opportunities for for players like that, and you know, uh, Peter Abandonado um, mentioned that you know he he was invited to Canadians training camp this year, um, and he was for the first time he got to, you know, see Coach Martin Saint Louis because obviously. Uh, when when Saint Louis was hired, he was in Laval last year, and he said that you know Saint Louis went to the AHL guys and told them like, listen, I I didn't make the NHL until I was, you know, was what twenty five, twenty six, full time, and and I think that that really resonated with a lot of these players, um, like Dubay who was you know twenty two, and and Abandonado who's um, still young as well. He's you know he's so- a few years. Yeah, uh, so, so what you're what you're saying now is that Peter Abandonado is the second coming of Martin Saint Louis. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I I, th- I, th- I think that there's a better chance of that happening than say if I was the next Martin Saint Louis. <laughs> um, but, but no, I mean, look, a lot of a, a lot of the talk about the the rocket going into the season, especially when the Ghoulies and the Harrises. Uh, and the Slavkovskis were staying in the NHL. Was like, oh, there's no prospects in Laval, right? That that that's something that we heard, you know, uh, on on social media, and and you know, and interest with the Rocket was kind of low to start the year. But you look at it now, and Jesse Ullinen, Raphael Harvey Pinard, uh, Justin Barron, those are all guys that that have come to the NHL and really established themselves as NHL players. And you need that. I'm not saying that you know Raphael Harvey Pinard is going to be a key player when this team is a contender, but odds are he'll probably be in the middle six or bottom six of, of this Canadians team when they're in the playoffs. And you need, if you can get guys like that through your organization, as opposed to, you know, trading things for, you know, fourth liners, uh, uh, Steve Ott and Dwight King and, and those groups of players, Andreas Martinson, um, instead of trading for them or signing them to contracts like, you know, Nick Delorier, if you can develop those guys, it helps you pay the guys that, that really make a difference, right? Like, you know, getting those eyes on entry-level contracts. And, you know, I, I think that there's something to be said for developing those guys in-house and getting them to know part of the group. And, you know, like Harvey Pinard and Suzuki go back to, to Vegas rookie camp, you know, like development camp. Um, you know, Harvey Pinard was an invite to that camp when Suzuki was still a, a Golden Knights prospect. And there's there's value in that. There's value in these guys learning how to play together. And and you know, there's all these there's so many people on this team and this organization who are young. And next year it's gonna get even crazier because you're gonna have guys like Joshua Waugh and Riley Kidney and and Logan Mayu and uh you know Heineman's probably gonna be here for for the whole year. Um there's so many guys that are gonna start coming in, they're all gonna be around the same age. And they're all just going to play together, whether it's in the NHL or the AHL, and and that's how you build winners. I, I mean, you look at look at up and down contenders in the NHL, and on most of those teams, you have guys who played in the AHL together <laughs> and did well, whether it's you know uh, Tampa Bay or even Colorado. Um, you know, Dallas is starting to see that with their AHL team success as well. So. It's it's something that's going to be very interesting to watch as we get forward because not everyone's going to be a top prospect, but as you get and as you focus on development and you know bubble guys become actual NHLers that 
gives you a lot more options and it also gives you a lot more uh opportunity to make trades like look at tampa right they they traded guys like boris kachuk and uh taylor radish and you know cal foot and all, all these guys that didn't have room in the nhl for them or were replaceable because they had other guys to step in for them and they end up getting good players for back for them so i i think that that there's a lot of value in that and and even toronto is, is an example of that as well where they you know trade guys for other guys and 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 kind of well that sundin know, trade really looks hilarious at the moment well yeah i i'm not saying that it's foolproof um <laughs> you know you know there's kyle dubas has done some weird things but i think that there's a a a, a uh they're a good example of what happens when you develop and, and i think that there's you know, there's some wins there and, and, you know, they haven't really seen the, the fruits of all of it because some of the guys, um, you know, have been tra- traded or, you know, like even Carter Verhage was in the Tampa Bay organization and, and he's, you know, scoring lots of NHL goals now. So I, I think that, you know, Tampa Bay is, is really the, the blueprint. And I don't think, I don't think it's a complete coincidence that some of the big people in the Canadians organization now, and, and I look at, you know, obviously Vincent LeCavalier, and Martin Saint Louis are come straight from the Tampa organization because that they've been doing it for a long time before Steve Eisman, after Steve Eisman. Um, there's a lot of consistencies there, and I think that you know, you know, could you know, there's not going to be room for all these guys. You know, <laughs> the, the, and that's a subject for another podcast, Jared. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're I, I, going off tangent again, and Matt, I am. I'm going to leave you to break in because you are the champion of the bottom six minutes um mike madison a little bit of a surprise when we selected him but numbers stood out he's been solid for those times he's been on the ice all over the season um why did we pick him well you know i i mentioned it with lane hudson me and hattie kind of talked about it right if uh if lane hudson stepped into the league tomorrow if the only thing that he could do was just transition with the puck he'd probably be a top pairing defenseman. Well, Mike Matheson does it all, right? I think there's still a couple of issues with him in his own zone. Um, but realistically, I think once this team actually improves around him, he's going to be a legitimate top pairing defenseman for this team. I mean, just the way that he's able to carry the puck up ice with ease, his skating is magnificent. He had, what, 14 points in the month of March uh, on a team that was, you know, uh, I don't think they were necessarily horribly lacking in terms of scoring, but they weren't blowing anybody's doors off offensively um what he's been able to do on a on a team that has been decimated by injuries is nothing short of astonishing uh i wrote an article what uh, maybe a couple weeks before the deadline where i said you know maybe he's playing himself into the deadline conversation and then i got a lot of dms uh and emails from people that are like what are you talking about matt why are you trying to trade mike matheson and i was never trying to trade him i was saying look at how well he's playing if anybody's bound to be getting interest from other teams right now ahead of the deadline, it's probably Mike Matheson. Let's face it. If you were calling up the Montreal Canadiens prior to that deadline, you're not going to be starting with Joel Edmondson as the player that you're interested in. If you're watching the Montreal Canadiens, the one guy that really stood out uh, as playing extremely well is Mike Matheson. And I think with the way he's played at this point, he's making himself invaluable to this franchise because they're going to have to keep around at least one or two veterans to help with some of those young players that Jared brought up right? Um, You're not going to be able to run a defense next year where your most tenured guy is Arbor Jackeye or Caden Gooley. Nothing against either of those guys, but they can't be the most tenured person on your blue line. And Mike Matheson has shown so far that he could do 
wonders for this team, particularly in terms of mentoring some of those younger defensemen who really like to develop their offensive game a little bit, like Caden Gooley or like uh, Logan Mayu, if he happens to come up next year. I don't think he's going to make the NHL, but either way, having Mike Matheson around is going to be able to help some of those guys develop their offensive game a little bit. They can really learn from him how he's getting it done uh, and maybe take some of those things on in their own game. I, I really think the, the Habs nailed it with that trade. Uh, and I think this last month worth of hockey is the, the proof in the pudding right there when it comes to Mike Matheson. He's, he's been playing great. And I, I, I can't wait to see what he does next year if this team can get a little bit better and healthier around him. I mean, he's also signed until 2026, which is perfect for a developmental team to just know that the guy who's playing like yeah. the number one defenseman right now is actually the longest, well, the guy who's signed for the longest term as well. As opposed to what? If it was Carey Price and Shea Weber? Uh, yeah, well, they were a little bit older as well during the last <laughs> no, few years. No, 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 but it's just, it's just like, I mean, Mike Matheson has had a great, like, really, like, he broke through really well in at Pittsburgh last year, but then he's mm -hmm. found yet another level this year. And basically, like, both Joel Edmondson and, and David Savard were signed to be those steady guys who you can rely on, but they offer little to nothing uh when it comes to offensive display mike matheson can do a little bit of everything which means that he's more deployable in different scenarios and everything um so the fact that he's signed longer than savard and edmondson is is a good thing going forward oh absolutely like mike i feel like a lot of people are like okay like they there was a lot of uncertainty when the trade was made yeah um and a lot of that was because you know Jeff Petrie is also really good, but but I think that the, the Canadians uh, really knew what they were doing in in this trade. Like I just feel like he was he was he's really the the perfect guy to be in this situation. He's twenty nine years old. He's signed long term. He's homegrown. Uh, you, know, you, you know exactly. He's from the area, mm -hmm. and and I think what you're seeing with this with this organization is that there's a lot of players who just really like being Montreal Canadians. Mm. And, yeah. you know, I don't want to mention a certain player in Winnipeg uh, who is rumored to also <laughs> want to play in Montreal. But but I think that, that there's a lot to Mark be said Mark Shifley? That. <laughs> oh, uh, I, that, that, that's a whole other issue. Uh, don't tell Jake Evans about that. Um, but in, in, terms of, in terms of that, I think that there's something to be said for players who want to be Montreal Canadiens and there's a lot of things about you know local players and you know whether they're born in, in Quebec but but I think that there's something to be said and Brendan Gallagher talked about this is players who just want to be Montreal Canadiens and know what it means to be Montreal Canadiens and I think that you know Nick Suzuki lives in the city all year round like and I think that that's a, that's a trend that's gonna start to develop a little bit more because you know, a lot of these players are are young, and and you know they they haven't really established their roots. And to to have a guy like Mike Matheson, um, you know, who's pretty much perfectly bilingual as well, it, it really is um is interesting. And and him stepping up the way he has has really helped this team not have Keaton Gooley, not have Arbor Jacki, not have a, a lot of players who. Uh, have, have been hurt uh, both on uh, at forward and, and on defense. And, you know, he's, I, I, I get tired of, of people who say like, Oh, they're winning games because of older players. Like 
Mike Matheson and, and Samuel Montabo are, are pieces of this future. <laughs> like they're not the as, as big parts of the future as like Cole Caulfield and Yuri Slavkovsky and, and Nick Suzuki and, and the players like that. But like only 29, like Montabo is what, 25, 26? Like in, in three, four years, when this team is ready to contend, they'll probably still be Montreal Canadiens and, and key parts of it. Like they're they're not getting a number one goalie who's going to play 60, 70 games a year. So whoever your backup is, and I think it's probably going to be Montembeau going forward, at, at worst, as a backup. But a 1A, 1B, you can do a lot worse than that. And I think that that's um, something to look into. Like, like The pieces of this future are not just the top prospects who are 22 years old. No, but that, I think that, that we, have was, to, we have to adjust that. That was the problem a few years ago when your key players were Shea Weber and Carey Price, who both were like 34, 35 coming up there in age. And you know mm -hmm. that, well, this was a young team uh, coming up there. We we're going to have a reset or rebuild or whatever. And how old are those players going to be when the team is ready to compete again? Um, and now, like, you know, I, I think it's pretty much just Habs fans being kind of no, like they, they're used the, the to the fact that <laughs> the, the, being old... the fetist? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but also, also that the older players lead the team, but the older players right now aren't that old. Like the older right. guys are guys like Mike Hoffman, Joel Edmondson, yeah. um, and uh, David Savard, who don't have very long contracts, so they will yeah. be out the door in a couple of years. And as even, usual, even, when Jared starts Dryan. talking, we're ending up yeah. somewhere else. We need to have him have him have his own podcast instead. Um, yeah, I've I've missed this. I I need to talk more about hockey. <laughs> I, think, I think I think that's what we've learned on this podcast. Don't get me started, because uh, I also did this with Andrew uh, Andrew Brookshire. A uh, game over. It was like a ninety minute episode. Um, <laughs> and, um, and back yeah, to so. Mike Madison. Um, <laughs> we mentioned it. We've spoken about it. Um, as a as a going forward as a leader on the team as a role model for for the players coming up and especially with this young defensive crowd where we also have as, as mentioned logan mayo we got uh, lane hudson and adam engstrom who is future on this list um it will be interesting and they they will need someone to to maybe not teach them being pros but teach them being pros in the nhl because that is a different thing uh, we hear it from from European players when they come over as well. Uh, it is a little bit different, and uh, including sitting on the in the stands and being uh, left out of the roster for for a game or two. You've been listening to, and I'm going to get this right: Hadi Kalakesh, Matt Drake, Anton Rossgaard, Jared Book, and myself, Patrick Bexel. We're there super we go. happy to <laughs> be on the new website, the new platform. And we're super happy to have you around for another, what, 15 years. Thank you guys for <laughs> and, listening. And I, I just want to, I, I know I've talked a lot, but this is on topic, I swear. Um, it's not that it's I, on topic. It's more the fact that where it ends up, not being yeah, on it's topic. Okay. It's okay. No, I, I, it's, it's going to be, it's going to stay on topic. I, I promise. Um, you, you mentioned the new, uh, the new website. We also have a new uh, podcast partner, um, the, the Fans First Sports Network um and and they're helping us a lot with, with the the podcast and uh distribution stuff so give them uh, we're giving them a, a shout out as well uh, um and uh we'll uh we're gonna have more podcasts because i need to talk more about hockey 
That's the other topic. <laughs> and and sh- and shout out to Joshua Hawaii, who had 27 points in 11 games in the month of March and uh, probably yeah. was right up there with Lane Hudson. Just, oh, just want to throw that out there. I, I just had to include Lane Hudson instead of him just because of the sheer quantity of awards that he's just added yeah. to his, his name. It's just insane. And being left out. I'm not complaining. I'm not out. complaining. I just got to plug my boy whenever I get a chance. Oh, for sure. 100%. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to finish this podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Not, not my fault. To for the re- let, let the record show. It's not Derek's fault. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.